Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology changes lives and our world. It allows people to become parents who never thought it was possible in ways that they never thought it was possible. We're here to tell the stories that go beyond the technology of real lives, real people, how they are touched and how they are touching people every day. Um, I'm Jennifer White. I am the owner of Colorado Surrogacy, Montana Surrogacy, and New Mexico Surrogacy. And I get the great pleasure of co-presenting this fantastic and fun podcast with my sister, Ellen Trackman. Hi. And I just want to say that touching people and being touched, like that's all consensual. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, yes, I'm Alan Trackman. Uh, I'm an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law and I'm honored to, to co-host this podcast with my sister. And today, I'm not going to say I'm excited, but no, I can't. I cannot say it. I'm always excited. Um, so this is delving into um, kind of a, an area that's become becoming more and more accepted by Western medicine. We are talking to a superstar rock and roll acupuncturist. Um, the rock and roll part, you'll hear more about her background, which is um, really fun and interesting. And she, her, both her experience and her credentials are unique and, and cool. So I'm excited to, to talk more with Gina Horton. Today we are here with Gina Horton, who has a very impressive and very interesting background, as well as her specialty, I think is something that um, a lot of people have an interest in and can really help when it comes to fertility and IVF and our whole world that we're, we're dealing with and talking about. Um, Gina, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Um, so, Gina, what do you, well, to, to ruin the ending, what do you do now? And then we'll talk about kind of your, your very exciting <laughs> journey to get there. <laughs> the, right. story. Um, the story. I, I, am an, I am an acupuncturist in Denver, and I have, uh, I've been an acupuncturist for 20 years, which is kind of mind-blowing because it feels like two days sometimes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I work in Denver, and I specialize in infertility. I see bad colds to broken bones at my private practice, but uh, a, a little niche in the market presented itself to me back in 1999 when a woman came to me and said, I'm, I want to have a baby. I want you to put a baby in me. Ah, (laughs) And um, she said, I'm, I'm doing this thing called, she said, I'm doing this thing called IVF. And I, well, vaguely knew what it was, you know, Mm, I wasn't really, really sure what it was. And I sat down and I I learned on the fly and she was a great teacher. She took me with her to her doctor who at the time was a a wonderful guy, Sam Alexander. Dr. Alexander was here in Denver and he took me under his wing and let me uh, see the lab and kind of pulled me in and and taught me a few things and things that I needed to know. But the, the biggest challenge for me was to sit down and translate what they were doing with Western medicine back into Chinese medicine. And it really wasn't that difficult because Chinese medicine, well, the the cornerstone is gynecology and and this 3,000-year-old medicine. So um, since then, I've been challenging myself to take a look at what Western medicine does with fertility from natural pregnancies to IUIs to IVF and surrogacy and donor eggs and everything like that and and really try to take this transparency of Chinese medicine and put over it. So we definitely, we're going to explore like what the actual Chinese medicine and all that stuff going forward. But but I think we have to go backwards in your life because that is also fascinating in this. So, so tell us about earlier in your life and what has brought you to where you are. So you had this career before this. It was very, it's very interesting to a lot of people. I did, yeah, and I was like a little bit shy about. You know, I've never been shy, but I, I was more reserved and kind of kept my cards closer to my chest about what I used to do. And about five years into my practice, I think people started. Women started looking at me. Men were like, "What are you? What's this all about?" They could see that, you know, you can look and see how long I'd been in practice or what you do before this. And 
Um, when I was about 17 or 18 years old, well, as a kid, I loved music and I loved science, but um, music kind of won at the end because I um, moved from Colorado to North Carolina. I didn't have a Southern accent, uh, wanted to go to medical school, but found myself a job at a radio station and I was a disc jockey. So at about 18, 19 years old, um, back in the, in the very late 70s, I'm not going to reveal my age, really, <laughs> although most everybody knows. Um, I was a, a an, I'm an old school radio DJ, so I got to play music by like The Police and Led Zeppelin and MC5 and The Pretenders and The Flying Lizards. I feel like right? I had like the best of the best music ever. <laughs> and I, I and think we're gonna have to have our audio right? producer like play some of that in the background here. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I had such like a blessed life and a blessed career and. Um, I was on the air solid for a pretty long time and I was approached by a record company. I was a music director at a radio station in Denver and um, Chrysalis Records came to me and said, we really want you to work for us, which was such a crazy honor. And they flew me into New York City and I took the job and I came back and I, I worked as a regional promotion manager and um, basically babysat rock stars. <laughs> the real job. Well, yeah. the real, the real no, job sure is hard. Really, was the, yeah. Everybody says, it's so, so fun. And it was, but not on the conference call. Mm. Yeah. Do, you, it was, do, you, it, do you have any good celebrity, celebrity gossip? Or? Oh, uh, <laughs> gossip. <laughs> I, you know, I've been thinking about that. I knew because you asked me that. And I was like, oh, well, man. Yeah, there's a lot, but I'll be respectful. Um, um, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, that's right. Some, some of those guys I still know, but and they would give me hell. But um, no, I, I ended up the the real job was to get records played at radio stations, and so I had to deal with a lot of different kind of people, from general managers um, to disc jockeys, and and you know, really get my chops and learn to to speak to people. And back in probably, I'm trying to think here, the late '90s. Mid 80s, late 90s, um, I had been transferred to San Francisco and lived there. And there was, um, it was really challenging. It was uh, kind of the, the loss of my innocence at that point because the city was under the grips of AIDS epidemic, was just coming out around 86 and 88, somewhere in between there. So when I moved there, there were people dying and, and San Francisco was, it was a dark mood at that point, although it was a cool place to live. And then there was much like today, an opioid epidemic that, you know, it's massive now. And I was really touched by it, by a, several of my friends, people that I knew, um, you know, becoming victims to both of those major, major problems. And, um, you know, I started kind of taking a look at my life and having loved science as much as I did, I started feeling like I wasn't doing brain surgery. I became really dissatisfied. And the music industry, I have to add, was falling apart at that point where Napster was coming on and, and everything was really the shifting of the energy of the industry was was all about money. And it was it was pretty crazy. And it was just, you know, really hard and brutal. So I started thinking about what I wanted to do. And I really did um, get hit upside the head. Uh, I was on a conference call and a guy was yelling at me. I'd moved back to Denver at this point and it was probably about 1992. And he was just screaming at everybody about, you know, why wow. we were so lame as a staff. And just and I thought, man, that guy needs acupuncture because I've been getting <laughs> you know, and the voice said, no, you need acupuncture. And I was like, oh. what? And, and I was like, no, I get acupuncture. You know, I'm having this like conscious conversation with some divine voice in my head. And it's like, no, 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 you do it. And I woke up the next day and I, I called my mom and dad and I said, I know what I want to do. And because they were like, what do you, you know, where now, what now? And so I checked into schools and I did a lot of research and I figured out how I could go to school, how I could quit my job, which was a, a very fine paying job with a very big expense account and dove in, went back to school and, and here I am. And, and it's been really a wonderful journey and, and love it a lot. And I, I look back at all the people that I had to talk to along the way. And, um, I think that's really what's helped me become, um, I don't know, easy to talk to when people come in to, to see me. I really enjoy people. I think one of my favorite things about the job as an acupuncturist is um, I, I do my my academic self loves the the diagnostics and differentiation and all that kind of stuff. But the people that I meet and the difference in every single person's personality, all the uniqueness that everybody mm -hmm. presents 
is so special and it makes me, it just, you know, it really makes me love the world most of the time. <laughs> have, have, you, have you gone back to that guy who was yelling at you and offered him a free session or two to thank him? <laughs> well, what's really funny, I, I found out um, due to Facebook, I found out from many of my colleagues in that industry, I pretty much disappeared to go get my degree. And I, you know, I was like up yours record industry. And, um, and I went underground. And then when Facebook came on the scene, I reconnected with a lot of these colleagues. And they're actually really fun to have as Facebook friends. Wow. Oh. And funny, but I've I've had somebody come to me and say, you know, a lot of us thought you went to drug rehab. I'm like, I never oh. did drugs. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I wasn't a druggie. I that wasn't my thing. I had been the codependent, and they were like, oh, you know. So I found some really funny rumors about that. But I've had a I have had so much support from that group of friends years ago. They're, they're so proud of me, and they're they're just. They love that one of us did something, you know, or, do, or yeah, that one of us is doing something unique and, yeah. you know, really, really following the dream. But I don't really feel like I had a choice. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's why success comes. And I, and I love it. Yay. Lucky yeah, me. Huh? I know, right? So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about Chinese medicine in general and how this works for fertility. I mean, like, because I think a lot of people, there, there are a lot of people who, use acupuncture and maybe either don't understand it. And then there's also a lot of people who just don't understand acupuncture at all. So if you can give just like a start of an overview, that would be wonderful. Well, there's, um, I've been thinking a lot about that and, and kind of thinking about theory books that you get on your first day of school and how to pull them apart. And, um, uh, you know, most of the people that are listening to your podcast right now, I'm guessing, are trying to have babies. And acupuncture is often talked about and kind of dumbed down as um, something that's good for blood flow. And and people come in and they're like, ah, I help my blood flow. But it it is so much more than that. And it's it's got a unique language that um, is based in talking about nature and the five elements of water, metal, Earth. Uh oh, I have to say them all now. Fire. <laughs> I can't stop at three. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. The uh, the the pressure's on. But so I was thinking about this, and and I wanted to. I was looking at a book written um, by um, the late Giovanni Machocia, which nobody knows how to say, but he's this wonderful Italian man. And if I may, can I can I tell you a little bit about what this book says? Because I think it would be really great. It says, in the process of adapting Chinese medicine to Western conditions, certain trends have appeared which really stretch Chinese medicine beyond its limits and indeed beyond the limits of medicine itself. And although Chinese medicine considers body-mind as an integrated whole and has a profound effect on the mind, it does have its limitation in the field. The role of the doctor, not just of Chinese medicine, but any medicine of any time, is not that of spiritual teacher. In Babylon times, when a person was sick, a team of three persons was called, a doctor, skilled diagnosis, a specialist in omens, and priest versed in incantations. This highlights well the separation of roles between doctors and spiritual guides. Even in China during the Tang Dynasty, which I will add, ladies, that that was 618 to 907, just for history's sake, the empirical uh, the Imperial Medical College offered separate courses in internal medicine, acupuncture, massage, and incantations. Thus, acupuncture does have a profound influence on emotional and mental problems. It does have a limitation, too. And by the way, in serious mental problems, acupuncture can only help if combined with the work of a properly trained psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. May I add that? Yeah. Well, we, and so when we talk about adapting Chinese medicine to Western conditions, we got to remember that we can't really generalize about Western culture because the culture, habits, and beliefs of a Sicilian peasant are as far removed from those of a New York businessman as the latter's are from those of a Chinese peasant. And so the cultural beliefs of the Sicilian peasant are probably closer to those of the Chinese peasant to then to those of a New York businessman. So one of the most important adaptations that we need to make is semantic. Symptoms and signs in Chinese medical books are those expressed by Chinese patients. And um, when you talk about, you know, you guys, we all, we all talk about things in Chinese medicine um, 
all this, all the acupuncturists and practitioners, like, how do you feel? Are you, you know, do you feel bloated? Do you feel thick? All these kind of things. And I find people aren't really sure sometimes how to express the symptoms and the side effects that they're having with all the IVF medicines. But this is what we treat. Western medicines, they describe symptoms in a way that's so different than Chinese patients. So we've had to take these terms and put them, I have to think about them in, in Western medicine. And three expressions that, that American patients um, often use, uh, they'll say like, the rainy weather makes me feel damp, or I feel like I have a rock in my throat, or, you know, my chest and my palms are sweaty. And what's really cool are there are diagnostics in Chinese medicine that go beyond those feelings. So you can sit down and, and look at that that side effect, those things that are happening, hot flashes, headaches, night sweats, you know, the, from menopause to Clomid side effects. You can you can treat these with Chinese medicine because they fall under these natural diagnostics that that ancient Chinese medicine has created. And, you know, I have to say that Western patients have a really different lifestyle and a different cultural attitude to their emotional life than Chinese patients. Sure. Just, you know, and, and they'll tend to, um, Westerners express their feelings a lot more. And um, things like, I don't feel grounded or I'm depressed, you know, we can treat that kind of stuff in Chinese medicine. And then going a little deeper, um, in theory with Chinese medicine is this is something really beautiful out of this book that um, the book is called The Foundations of Chinese Medicine. And it talks about something that's very fertility related. And back in 99, when that first patient came to me, um, who, by the way, has three children now. And I always call all the teenagers. Now they're all teenagers I, every time I see anything anything on social media. I'm like, my babies. You know, hashtag my babies. But, you know, and I, I, I'm so blessed that nobody argues that. You know? um, but they're not always mine. They're kind of a team effort, really. Um, but this thing called pre-heaven essence that we talk about in Chinese medicine is so beautiful. And this is like super poetic. Can I read this to you guys? Because it's really cool. Yeah, I'm interested in what that means. So yeah, I'd love to hear that. So pre-heaven essence, conception is a blending of the sexual energies of man and a woman to form what the ancient Chinese called pre-heaven essence. And it's of the newly conceived human being. The essence nourishes the embryo and the fetus during pregnancy. And it's also dependent on nourishment derived from mother's kidneys. Now, that's in Chinese medicine terms, I have to tell you guys. Remove what kidneys mean to you in in Western medicine. Pre-heaven essence is the only kind of essence present in the fetus as it does not have independent physiological activity. The pre-heaven essence is what determines each person's basic constitutional makeup, strength, and vitality. It's what makes each individual unique. Since it is inherited from the parents at conceptions, the pre-heaven essence can be influenced only with difficulty in the course of adult life. Some say that this essence is fixed in quantity and quality. However, it can be positively affected, even if not quantitatively increased. The best way to uh, positively affect your pre-heaven essence is by striving for balance in one's life activities between work and rest and balanced diet. Any irregular or excess in these spheres is bound to diminish the the pre-heaven essence, and a direct way to positively influence one's essence is through breathing exercises, such as exercises like qigong and then tai chi. So I think about like everything that we're doing when we're doing IVF and where this embryo is made. And I'm so lucky I get to work in embryo labs. Um, Several clinics in Denver have um, invited me in and along the way through the years, have shown me, you know, up close, right there, a retrieval, you know, ICSI, insemination. I've learned how to uh, count sperm, which that video is on my Facebook page, <laughs> but, but it's crazy. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating, sperm under a microscope. Who would have thought that that's just a ratio of the sample that we're actually counting and doing a math equation? You know, I'm like, oh, wow, there's math involved. 
But but I think about all this stuff and I think about who is actually putting that little sperm into that little egg and how does it affect the essence of that embryo. And I've seen some amazing things to just sit and ponder late at night. The things that keep me awake is how is the embryo's essence affected because mom and dad aren't in the room, you know? And it's it's one of those things in Chinese medicine they think of what happens at the moment of conception is what affects a person's constitution, you know, how how beautiful is the love in the moment or not, you know, and, and they, they analyze things like that. They look at conditions that people are conceived in. And so I think about that. And I do want to say that in, in my um, fringe as an outsider ish experience, the embryologists that I've met and that I work with are very, very thoughtful and they're very grounded when they're doing this and really respectful and Have understand you it. Suggested playing some like really romantic music in the embryology. They, they do. That's, Believe it or not, they okay, do. Okay. Yeah. I, I heard one time a really funny thing during a, an IVF transfer. Um, Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire, the couple had requested that they play that during the embryo transfer. And we mm. all looked at each other and went, Okay, there's some secret meaning that we don't know because that's a right. That's yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's such a cool thing to sit and think about this, you know, and and how it how it's all how it all matters. And so one of the things that I encourage um, with essence, and while these women are trying to get pregnant or after pregnancy, is breathing techniques. And and as somebody who's never really been um, good at meditating. And everybody says that, but that's why they call it practice. There's so many beautiful apps out there right now that we can all tap into to learn to meditate and really enhance our own essence. Whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, I'm going to throw that out there. And I'm, I'm, I think that you both know and are, have probably looked into some of the meditation apps for IVF specifically, are they're so lovely and they're so helpful to women. But we can put that in with the, the treatment, you know, with Chinese medicine and and really try to calm body, mind, and spirit. So, oh my goodness, I could go on and on about that. <laughs> and, and I know this kind of sounds a little bit out there for a lot of people that uh, acupuncture and Chinese medicine is that real? But it's really becoming accepted, especially for fertility, where many clinics are moving to a standard protocol of suggesting acupuncture before and after the transfer. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that that I'm at these clinics is having kind of been an ambassador for that particular protocol. It was something that was d- discovered and determined back uh, early mid two thousand. There's been a few studies on it, um, and and. You know, we all don't really know with Western type studies because they're sort of designed in academia to prove something wrong. And what they do more than anything is expose acupuncture because as as an acupuncture session is so personalized for people uh, in the clinic, it also can be the same cookbook treatment because they're empirical treatments. So I kind of look at this pre and post as empirical and and more and more, the longer that I do it, the more that I see we're tracking pregnancy um, rates for people who are doing it and who aren't doing it. And um, we don't know if we see a difference, but, but one of the, the, this woman that is a, that I work with Nanette Santoro out at the University of Colorado. Uh, she's the chair for obstetrics and gynecology over the entire School of Medicine. And she said to me one day, she's kind of scary and kind of awesome. And I have <laughs> I really want to, I really want to be like her when I grow up. And and she's just so scary. lovely. And okay. <laughs> no, well, no, you know, but I like want people to describe I'm me as scary as awesome all at the same time. You know? Intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Jen, I mean, she, Jen, we do find you scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I, I, you know, in certain circumstances, I can stand up for myself. But um, no, Dr. Santoro, she said to me one day, you know, even if this is a placebo effect, and I, I kind of stopped her and I said, your head's connected to your body and you're going to feel good. And she said, that's right. So we look at this as something that is a real good, feel good thing. And, and you know, we're, we're kind of like thinking that the first treatment, we don't know for sure. We can't prove it. We, we think that the first treatment really relaxes the pelvic floor and helps a woman's sympathetic nervous system relax before the transfer happens, thus making it a little bit more comfortable, a little easier with that full bladder. And there's also a lot of high-touch customer service involved. I get to kind of pet everybody and get them in a good good place before they go in. And then the second treatment, um, 
this one is the one that everybody talks about this blood flow thing. But what we're hoping and what we're looking at is that it's increasing pregnancy rate by, uh, you know, leaps and bounds. We don't know. Uh, Dr. Santor and I have talked a lot about doing research, trying to do what we'd really ultimately like to do rather than to prove it works or it doesn't. You know, that's so black and white. We want to know what is happening. And I am so much more interested in that than anything. And so she, she and I put our heads together and we're like, if we could come up with a way to do you know, a, play, a patient blood draw before, during, and after the acupuncture treatment because we like to see markers in the endocrine system. You know, these hundreds of, yeah, it would be great, these hundreds of hormones and we could, you know, pick what we want to follow. Much like with a heart attack, you can take a blood draw and see changes in, in the blood. We want to see what is happening with the acupuncture. That doesn't, that doesn't offset like, oh, okay, we're going to relax you with acupuncture. Now we're going to stab you and draw your blood though. I know, exactly. <laughs> and then I'm like, ooh, but how do we make that needle <laughs> not draw chi? Because I think, right. I think you know, chi is flow, energy chi flows in blood. It's like, you know, chi is the mother of blood. Blood is the commander of chi, meaning without blood, we ain't got no chi, we're dead. And so, uh, you know, does that needle draw out chi? There's, there's a lot going on. I think it's going to be one of the hardest things ever to try to find, you know, chi. It's nanophysics, basically. And I think the physicists that I know, they actually understand acupuncture better than anyone. And um, working out at the university, um, where the labs are located out there are in the operating room, which has given me the opportunity to be in there with anesthesiologists and those guys. I was going to say, I wanted to hear about this. I wanted, we, I'd love you to explore, like, especially <laughs> you have a certification that is very unique of most acupuncture. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm credentialed. I'm like the only uh, credentialed acupuncture in our operating room at the University of Colorado. And I work for the School of Medicine and I get to touch all the medical students and their little minds, the sick, the big minds, I should say, their minds are so full of stuff. New minds, over. new minds, new awesome. minds, young yeah. minds, young minds, yes. right? But um, they, uh, the guys that I work with, they're all like touch the medical student, and so I've, I, you know, I've seen fellows and residents go through and med students, and the coolest thing for my profession is that they get to witness acupuncture, and it makes them more curious about it. It legitimizes it, and that matters to me more than anything that I think I do is just like come on, you guys. We're we're not some. We were pretty much grassroots when I started practicing acupuncture in the U.S. I feel like I'm in, I'm deep in the weeds right now and I have this great opportunity and with my background as a verbose individual and an, I'm really not intimidated by many people after working, you know, I, I traveled with Huey Lewis and Billy Idol. I was going to say, after Fertile, dealing with stuff like that, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it's hard to be scared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't care anymore, you know, but, but I, I respect, there's no doubt, I respect the academics. The, the guys that I work with, like I worked with rock stars before. These are the, the patients, the constellation of stars that I work with, with the docs, the scientists, I swear, that, that means so much to me. It's some really powerful stuff. But in the operating room, I can, uh, uh, we do transfer, embryo transfers back there, but it's given me the opportunity. I can wander wherever I want to and I can watch surgeries and I learn so much. The, the anesthesiologists are the guys who say, what you do is most like what we do in Western medicine. And I've had some really great intimate conversations with an anesthesiologists because sometimes, you know, when they put us to sleep, yeah, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. But sometimes they don't know why it happens. I mean, that really, what, what we don't know about the brain is so much more than what we do know. It's like the ultimate computer. So they, they, they specifically feel that acupuncture is changing things within the brain. Different cortexes of the brain light up under MRI. When you take an ancient point for vision and you stimulate that and a person is having a, a scan, the brain, the visual cortex in the brain lights up. So we all just are in awe. Like, how did they know this 3,000 years ago? We don't know. Nobody knows where Chinese medicine um, points come from. All the, nobody knows the theory, why it's there. We've had in the last 20 years. Yeah, we've had so much translated. When the um, terracotta tomb of the soldiers was found in China uh, 20 years ago, I think now, they found 
information about there's Chinese medicine everywhere in there. But during the Opium Wars, when British invaded China, they destroyed so many of the books, so much of the the artifacts that that's where we lose history. But you know, the speculation. Some people are under uncomfortable with the idea that the Buddha. Uh, meditated and came up with the points. I don't know. I, I really can't say. And as somebody with, you know, uh, science in my brain and academia at my doorstep, I, I want to know, but I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how to make it work a little bit. And, you know, I'm a novice when, when you look at these guys that are fourth generation acupuncturists and they've been doing this since they were children. There's a lot of those people out there in China and now in the United States. In China, the hospitals have, they'll have like a, a division for gynecology, but there's a branch of acupuncture and Chinese medicine in there. They have huge pharmacies of Chinese medicine, herbs, uh, neurology. They do anesthesia for surgeries because it's cheap. Because, you know, poor people, poverty in in some countries is so high that you do surgeries without anesthesia. So they do acupuncture. Oh. Yeah. And I one of my favorite ever stories, this is this is talk about this these stories are way better to me than the rock star stories. Um, the my favorite one is there was uh, in school, it was almost like this little myth that this New York Times reporter had gone to China when Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger went back in the 70s. They were the first U.S. delegates to go to China ever, and they were going to write policy. And a New York Times reporter was going with them to follow the story, and he ended up having acute um, appendicitis and had to have an emergency appendectomy. And he came back and wrote uh, about that in the New York Times. And what he wrote about was they didn't put him to sleep. They did acupuncture. Wow. And it blew his mind because he didn't feel anything. I wouldn't have, I would never, I'm not trained in that. I would Are never, you that good? No, no, I would never. I'm good in other things, but that's, that's a deep specialty. And anesthesiologists actually do coursework on acupuncture. So that's what they're, that's therein lies their interest. But the story gets even further for me. It's really, really cool. Like that one step, one separation, the Kevin Bacon game. Like, <laughs> uh, Six degrees of, yeah. yeah. Once removed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm once removed from the story. As time goes on, a gentleman came into my office and uh, he sat down. He was an older man and he was in for knee surgery. And he's, he's told me I could, I could tell the story. And we started talking and he has his car in the parking lot, this big old Mercedes, and it had a Washington, D.C., um, parking sticker on it. And he was here uh, in Colorado. His home, second home was in Vail. And it turns out that this guy was Richard Nixon's um, national head of security. And I said, what? You know, and he was really cool. I was like, can I tell my dad you're here? Cause he'll think that's really cool. And uh, <laughs> of all the celebrities I've ever touched, he doesn't know them, but he would know you. So he said, of course, you know, and I said, Kat, let me tell you the story. He goes, oh yeah, I totally remember the situation. We did not want that reporter with us. And we were going to actually, you know, have his train delayed so he couldn't make these meetings. We didn't want any reporters with us. And he said, but he got sick. So we didn't have to do anything. <laughs> so I, hence, hence, I tell him the story about the acupuncture. And he's like, wow, that's cool, Gina, that you know that. And then when the, uh, the Olympics were in China, like around the same time, maybe a couple years later, I'm in the kitchen cooking and I hear Bob Costas, who is calling the Olympics. And they're telling those cultural stories that they tell for every country for the Olympics. And I hear Bob say, acupuncture and Chinese medicine is a big thing in the Chinese culture, you know, and he starts telling the story of the New York Times reporter. I run from the kitchen and there's the reporter and there was the Chinese acupuncturist and wow. he's, an, an el he's an elder gentleman and they told the whole story. So it was really cool for me to have heard this, what seemed like um, kind of a BS story from my teachers in Chinese medicine school to it's a real deal. And so the exposure, it's kind of always been on my radar to want to be the one to say, hey, do you know about it? You know, and I, and I love putting that on top of being a patient advocate. For, for the patients who are listening to your podcast that are going to a fertility clinic, ask your fertility clinic if they use Chinese medicine, if they use acupuncture, you know, most of them do now. It's really, we've seen a, a huge increase in the past few years, which has been really lovely that, you know, and especially 
since we professionally deal a lot with gestational carriers instead of on the other side before they've you know, the intended parents and all that have gone through it on their own, but even they're very much encouraged, encouraging the gestational carriers to go through it as well um, before, after, and very carefully, most of them are additionally asking them to at least try it once before the actual day of. <laughs> so if they've never experienced it, and I usually try to encourage that one too. I'm like, because you know, if you don't like it, and if it freaks you out, you don't want to be sitting there during the embryo transfer having an absolute freak out session as oh, well. No, not at all. So. And I do the same thing. I I try really hard to make sure that um, at least I meet somebody because then they get the warm fuzzy and I can kind of comfort them and and whatnot. But um, I've seen more and more of this. And the, the, the great part about that is that pregnancy support is again, a cornerstone uh, treatment in Chinese medicine. And it's something that uh, women were treated all through pregnancy. I typically try to see people through their first trimester uh, if they've had recurring miscarriages, I suggest they come in until they want to because it can't hurt. And um, it's it's there. There's some people that say, "Oh, can it cause um, miscarriage?" And no, I I had a teacher many years ago, many years ago, say he had tried to help a woman terminate, and he can't. Oh, wow. It just can't. It's not. It's it might be powerful, but it's not that powerful. Nature, nature rules when it comes to that stuff and selection and and reduction. I think that that is something that I would like to address. That it is not easy to cause a miscarriage. <laughs> that is for sure. And yeah, that said, what what really happens is the chi can be soothed. You know, that whole static energy that is changing during pregnancy, and it helps with morning sickness. Uh, it helps with fear. Uh, I think it's very calming to have somebody to go to and have some sort of a, a technical skill like doing the acupuncture itself to really soothe people. They, they, people come in and they're like, oh, I feel like I'm floating. And I had a skeptic in the other day. She's a scientist, a researcher, and she really didn't want to be there. And her doctor had suggested it. And I'm guessing probably because she was full of anxiety with what she was going through. And he's seen people come away calm as a side effect. And uh, at the end of the treatment, she's like, this is kind of cool. <laughs> she's like, I really awesome. they, feel That something. actually makes me think of something that we had talked about before this. And I would really love to experience uh, to kind of explore that we talked about, and I hate to give away what the whole thing is, but uh, we were talking about fertility, the treatment of fertility and fertility related issues as a kind of a comparison to what you had seen and dealing with, with people who had addiction as well. Well, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, when I got out of school, when I decided to become an acupuncturist and, and study Chinese medicine as a whole with herbs and whatnot, I was really interested in, um, first when I graduated, I was, uh, with a clinic that we would treat, um, it was the Colorado AIDS project. We would treat HIV positive and, uh, patients with AIDS. And that was a huge interest to me. And it's because when I lived in San Francisco, I had, uh, my first acupuncturist who I went to for my own endometriosis problems. And, um, I, I felt a little bit poo-pooed by Western medicine at the time. I didn't know anything about Chinese medicine and I was having some pretty chronic intense problems and a chiropractor who had helped me a lot said, you should try Chinese medicine. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Blah, blah, blah. And I, she ended up, she referred me to a woman named Misha Cohen who, um, is, she's amazing. She's, uh, she's one of our most um, renowned acupuncturist in, in the United States and in the world. And I was lucky enough for her to be my first acupuncturist. She treated AIDS uh, patients and HIV positive patients and treated their side effects. And conversely, a lot of patients who are HIV positive got it from needles. And, um, and so that heroin epidemic and that HIV epidemic, they were very overlapping. And I was very uh, motivated because I knew a lot of people who had all those illnesses and um, wanted to help them. And acupuncture is a huge um, treatment tool in um, rehab centers. And it helps bring endorphins out that have once been pushed far down in the system. Opiates fit the same cell receptor that opiates do. I mean that uh, endorphins do. So you have a, 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 a cell receptor that uh, an endorphin is like a little key that fits in and it kills pain and it makes us feel good and it manages uncomfortable things. But when people are doing opiates, 
um, and heroin, and this applies to a lot of the stuff that's going on in the U.S. today, um, those, those endorphins that aren't used, they think they don't need to be used and they go deep in the brain. And the acupuncture, oddly enough, really releases them and that helps with comfort, with withdrawal symptoms and all this kind of stuff. So I thought that was really amazing. And it was a, a huge protocol, not a protocol, which is now used uh, in what we call battlefield acupuncture. And that is something that um, there's a group of acupuncturists. They're much like Doctors Without Borders. They're acupuncturists without borders and they'll go to disaster areas. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and, I, never, I never heard of that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And we do, uh, there's a five point protocol in each year. And it's the same thing that we use for drug addiction. And a lot of people use it for stop smoking. I am not an expert in that. That's a tough one. And I've heard uh, of that one. Yeah. yeah. Smoking one is really difficult, I, I think. Uh, and it's not my specialty, but it this protocol can be used so many different ways. But when I came out of school and, and I really had a focus on uh, doing addiction therapies and, you know, really working with that community, but somewhere along the line, like the universe turned my, to, I took the blinker went on and I didn't know it. And I took a turn when that lady came in for that IVF treatment back at the beginning of the story, I realized sometimes, and, and, uh, uh, uh most every day somebody comes in and they're like, I'm so obsessed. And it's the same sort of obsession that drug addicts have trying to get a fix. It's the, it's the stress that you feel when you can't, drink alcohol when you've decided to be sober or, you know, stop using drugs, there's this anxiety and there's this obsession of like, what am I doing? And you both know in your experience, everyone who's been a guest on the show knows how obsessive women can get, uh, you know, from, from, Hey, my period. Well, and I know it personally too, not even from all of our other, I mean, I went through infertility as well. So I know that feeling every month, every minute, every day, it does not go away from your, your thoughts. No, it doesn't. And, you know, it's like I think about, too, like as young women who um, started becoming sexually active, I think back in my day, you know, people would be like, I'm not having my period. Oh, no. You know, right. <laughs> you, you didn't want to, you know, have a have a baby out of wedlock. And even back then, I mean, the obsession around your period, whether you're healthy or unhealthy, whether you want a baby or or just even through menopause, it's something that's right there for us. And I've realized that sometimes using that same treatment is so calming. And it, it, it yes, it brings endorphins out, which make us feel good. But also sitting with people, I don't do in Incantations by any means, but uh, I and I refer to therapists and and whatnot. But sometimes when people come in and they talk about things, they just feel better. And then we do this treatment, and then they feel even better. It's sort of a like you know you can get rid of the troll under the bridge when you're crossing through that abyss, and and it's a tough abyss waiting for your pregnancy results after going through so much. You know, I my hats off, and I have the most immense amount of respect for women going through fertility issues because man it is not for the the weak of heart or spirit but nobody breaks everybody everybody gets through it that's for sure and are you generally finding a lot more acceptance or are you still dealing with people who are like oh it's just a placebo or why are you here is it huh how are you being received um well with my personality <laughs> <laughs> I can, I usually go in and, and smile it up and, and I take the challenge and I'm, I, I feel like it is really my duty with my profession to try to explain things to people a little bit more in their language. So I feel like I'm able to kind of chameleon if somebody needs to hear about this in an academic way, I'll cite research. But if somebody wants to just feel good and be airy fairy about it, <laughs> I can do that too. You know, I, I do find a lot more acceptance because, hey, I'm, I, you know, I had the chief medical officer asked me in, in the, the, um, recovery room one day, I'm, I'm surrounded by people who are coming out of all kinds of surgeries, but it's just coincidental that our embryo lab is back within this, this realm because it is so sterile back there. That's why the lab is back there. But it, it puts me in this position of being surrounded by patients who have had uh, knee surgeries, you know, head surgeries, nasal surgeries, every kind of surgery that's a day surgery, hernia, hernia repair. But the chief medical officer uh, asked me one day, he's like, why are you here? And I said, to try to help women get pregnant. And he's like, really? That's pretty awesome. You know, so it's, it's even, it's kind of shocking. I'm not, I'm not shot down too much. And if I am, I shrug it off. I got to move on. You know, I, I've got bigger things to do than to, 
to try to convince um, the cynics. Sure. Yeah. 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 There's more, there's more fun in, in working with the people who want to be worked with. And I honestly, after, after being in the industry, uh, the music industry, I worked on a lot of, I worked with a lot of bands and a lot of music that I never cared for. And I, when I got out, I said, I'm never going to do, I'm never going to try to sell something that I don't like ever again. And I really don't ever want to soapbox it. Oftentimes people don't even know I'm an acupuncturist out in my social life. They're like, you are? Really? <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do they think you are? Do you ever have them guess? Like- uh, n- no, but that's really a good game that I might have to start playing. What do you, yeah, what, what do you think I do? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I think they can see it after I do it. I think the people who are, have been my, my biggest advocates in the end and the, the most skeptical in the beginning were my parents. And uh, that, that's been really kind of cool to to have watched my whole family uh, embrace this because they're pretty traditional people. My my dad was a Marine in, the, in World War II. So when I said anything about uh, Chinese medicine and Asian, he was a little uh, taken aback. My dad was right, you know, pre-Pearl uh, Harbor right before he joined the Marines. And so he, he kind of had that cultural thing. But they they were so pleased and so proud that I powered through. And the school was the hardest thing I ever did because it's all in Chinese. Um, rough, rough translations. And I had to learn how to be a student at uh, 32 years old. After being in a very interactive, obviously a talkative person, I had to sit down and be quiet and listen. Oh, that does sound hard. <laughs> it, you, it was. It was. And do you speak Chinese now? Do you speak any Chinese? Uh, I know how to or say, read? uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh that's hello. <laughs> you know, when I'm with my, when I'm with my Chinese friends and they speak in Chinese, there's a certain tone that I can figure out what they're talking about sometimes, but that's sort of like being in any country. I think if somebody's pointing at the stove, you know, I can go, you're talking about the stove, aren't you? You know, but, um, a little bit, yeah, mostly medical terminology and, and things like that. And, and as far as the char- Chinese characters, I recognize a few, but I don't use it enough, just like any foreign language. And um, the medical terminology is, is funny that I find myself, it's, it's usually translated from a character into opinion, which is the romanization of those characters and using a, the, our Roman alphabet of ABC. So I find myself writing words like the word blood. I spell it X-U-E which is she, and it's Chinese for the word blood. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's almost like medical abbreviations or acronyms or things like that when I'm making notes. Interesting. It's just, it's quick. It's just easy. No, it's two sides of the brain. It's not me or anything. It's just brains, like what they do. It's crazy creative. There's definitely some things that are context. I found, I lived in Germany for some years and I found when we flew back over Frankfurt once, the, they gave the, the landing announcements in German and I instantly was like, oh, and like my brain started, even though I don't speak German, I could come up with those words. You come up with different words and different translations for things. And it was my Americanized German, but it still was there in context, <laughs> in the correct context. Yeah. But, you know, we left right, and I was right. like, I don't remember any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I learned how to spend, uh, speak French. And uh, now all I can say is, uh, je, je parle français, uh, français très difficile pour moi, meaning I speak French, but it's yeah. really difficult for me. <laughs> and then, and then, and then they start speaking in French and I'm like, no, seriously, I don't understand you at all. <laughs> but it, it's cool because your brain does start dreaming in it. And, and I think one of the cool games that we played um, in school to memorize all this stuff was that <laughs> we, would, we would use mnemonics. And we had to memorize like 400 herbs, what they look like, 25 things that they did, what all, I mean, it was an immense amount of Materia Medica we had to memorize. And so there was a lot of rote memorization that you didn't understand what you were learning or why you were learning it. And even years later, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's right. You know? that's yeah. Oh, God, I get it now. And I, that's really fun to learn and then later go, oh, you know, it's deeply hidden in my brain and I memorized it. Like one of my fun, the, the, one of my favorite all-time fun ones is ginseng. Everybody knows what ginseng is. We all recognize that word now, but ginseng, there's several different kinds of ginsengs. And, um, 
It's used for, you know, strengthening your essence, your kidney essence, what I was talking about later, and all kinds of things. But um, in Chinese, it's ren shen chen, ren shen, right? Ren shen, R-E-N-S-H-E-N. And so we came up, the girls that I, and, and guys that I had study partners with, we would create and have the herbs as characters in the stories. And Ren Shen, we'd call Ren Shen Shen. It was like Rin Tin Tin, the dog from the TV shows in the 50s. And we had this German shepherd, this, this bold dog that would rescue people. That was ginseng. You know, and it was like how we, how we memorize stuff. And on a really, if you want to know how sick medical students can be, this is probably acceptable to air and somewhat funny. But there is a, there's an acupuncture point. There's, over, there's like 400 or more points. Then you have to memorize those and everything that each point is used for and the anatomical description of where the point is, which is like anterior and posterior to the head of the fibula, two inches down. You know, I mean, it's like seriously intense memorization for four years. And so we, we were in this class one time and we're learning about all the points on the, the, this one bladder meridian. And there's one called urinary bladder uh, 57. And we, call it UB as an acronym, UB57. And the teacher was like talking about all the different things that it's used for. And she said hemorrhoids. And we were interactive as a class. And I was like, ooh, Heinz 57. <laughs> Everybody was grossed out. <laughs> Everybody was grossed out. And we had a good laugh. And then we got back to learning. During the board exams, we, we students take board exams now via computer labs and things like that. But we had to go to New York. We had two choices, New York or California, to take our board exam. And you would go to these huge hotel convention rooms where there's a thousand people taking a board exam. That's how board exams for everything used to be done. And I can remember that question was on our eight-hour board written board exam. And I laughed when I knew the right answer. <laughs> Thanks. Everybody that it came, uh-huh. Everybody that came out of, of the, the test that was in my class and was with my, my group of traveling buddies, they all came out and they were like, Hans 57. Mm-hmm. You know? We had a so I know how to treat hemorrhoids too, that said. Um, okay, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really fun. I did, there was a sports talk radio guy. I, I, I get to treat radio guys, TV people and things like that because they all know me from, from back then, which is really fun and it's been great for marketing. But I remember there was this talk radio network and these guys, uh, I'll throw out Dave Logan's name if any. I, 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 your listeners probably don't know him, but he was a big Denver athlete. And uh, he actually had me on the air talking about it because his partner would go on the air and talk about his hemorrhoids. So I, I'll, get, I'll, I'll advertise Chinese medicine any way that I can. You know what I mean? It's like all for the, the greater good of mankind is what I'm about, no matter what we're talking about, what, what side effect, you know, what anything. Yeah. So it, it's really been been a quite a journey and i get to treat rock stars too now now they call me and um they ask me to come up to red rocks to do acupuncture and it's really weird to be at a concert venue not as a record promoter or as a disc jockey but as a healthcare provider yeah. oh it's a lot more relaxed it's it's not like there's no stress on me or no tension or anything like to interview anybody nobody's but, not gonna they're not gonna yell at you because you have the wrong color m&ms in the bowl right yeah. <laughs> Ah, oh, you hit that right on the head. Girl. <laughs> that is exactly right. My favorite one was Bjork, and um, she was so adorable and such a little fairy. And I walked in the room, and um, because she's from Iceland and doesn't have American hangups, she just immediately got naked and said, "My lungs hurt. I will you treat them." You know, and so I said, "Sure, sure." And here's this to me is a great rock star story with the acupuncture involved, which is super important to me. But I, uh, I set her up and it was pre-performance up at Red Rocks and it was a couple hours before the show. It was around sound check time, like five or six. And um, I shut the room, the door, and it, it, the Red Rocks um, amphitheater, the dressing rooms are below the stage and the, the walls are those beautiful rocks and things like that. But then there's a couple of rooms like for the guest band that are just little pod off rooms. And we had set up uh, a table in there to do the acupuncture and I shut the door and, you know, a good half hour passes and and I was talking to the roadies and everybody's looking at 
tattoos and just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze. And I was, you know, watching my watch and thinking about what she was doing in there. And I reached for the handle to open the door and it's locked from the inside. And she has needles in her and I do not want to alert the rock star that something is you know, going on. So I, I, I step over to the offices and these offices are called production offices and it's rows and rows of computers that everybody that's on the road with the band sits down and, and does all their work like a traveling office. And the tour manager there, you know, is there and, and the lighting guy and everybody's there. And I, I step into the doorway of this long office and I go, Hey, you guys, the, uh, the door's locked. And they all look at me and they're all Icelanders. And they look at me and they're like, what? And I said, I can't get in. The door's locked from the inside. And they were like, oh, <laughs> they thought it was the funniest thing. But we had to find oh, the janitor no. at Red Rocks that had, had the huge key. He, it took him like 10 minutes to get there. And he had, I swear to you guys, he had like 5,000 keys on the key ring. And he had to... He had to try every key to get the door open to that one little room. So and she never knew. And the performance was amazing. Oh. <laughs> oh. Now she does. I think she's a big fan of us. Oh, yeah. Now she's going to know. Yeah. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. How's <laughs> 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 Oh, too funny. So, I mean, I guess let's, I, I love these stories. I would keep love to keep going. But um, what? Bring it back around for us on kind of a final parting thought of wisdom, especially with acupuncture related to fertility or IVF, just as a, just to kind of, you know, since, since that's our, our core, where bring we're going home. here. Bring it home. Um, I think the most important thing to um, consider when you're choosing your acupuncturist is to make sure you're comfortable with that person. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how many treatments and like coming in and trying once or, or you know, how long to see your acupuncturist before, you know, during and after IVF and, and whatnot. I always think that if it's stressful, don't do it. You know, like what you were saying, if somebody doesn't like it, you don't want to be doing it like on the day of an IVF transfer. Doing um, what doing it for IUIs and to lead up to IVF, yeah, it helps blood flow, meaning that it helps produce a beautiful lining and it can uh, stimulate your ovaries and the end result, what we would want are follicle growth and, you know, just a good, healthy environment, your body, mind, and spirit as a patient. And I think that going into your IVF transfer, if you want to go and um, see your acupuncturist, do it for however long feels right. They hopefully will guide you in a, uh, a minimal way. In Chinese medicine, traditionally, ancient times, daily. But we can't do that. You know, we none of us have that kind of lifestyle. That would just add more stress. So I would say to to take it as far as you need to, um, returning when you're ready. Uh, I, I see most of my patients when they're ready to have that baby, they're like, I want you to get this baby. <laughs> <laughs> you got it in, now you have to get it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's like, you know, talk about wrapping it up and bringing it all the way full circle and buttoning things up. The baby at the end of the road, isn't it great? You know, like get it in, get it out. And uh, having a healthy birth is really important. I've uh, had the opportunity to work with a doctor here in Denver, Donna Okuda, who's retired recently. But Dr. Okuda and I, we would do ultrasounds and do this really ancient treatment of turning breech babies. And we could see on ultrasound the baby turn. Not always successful. So, so that's a tool. Um, the first time I ever tried to induce labor, uh, my very best friend, it was my first year out of school, she was having her first child and really stuck in the long term. And as soon as I did a couple of points we were blown away. Like my teeth fell out because her contractions got closer wow. together and she had the baby within an hour. Who wow. knows? That, wow. you know, it, that, but it was, it was, it's really powerful to, to watch that stuff happen in the end. So I think, you know, support all the way around, do your research when you're looking for your acupuncturist in whatever part of the country or the world that you're in, get something that's nurturing to you and, you know, get a couple opinions just like you would with your doctor and, somebody with a heart and somebody who has their head on straight and they don't make wild promises and preferably some right. babies at rockstar <laughs> oh. oh well i don't know you you can you can see where i want to be oh gina you have no idea how much we appreciate this well, yeah we thank appreciate you it so much so much
Thank you so much for having me today. I, I, uh, I'm really excited to, to know you ladies and the podcasts are great. I've enjoyed listening to them and I really, I, I really want to make sure that, um, everybody that I know knows about you guys. Cause what you, the work you're doing is pretty cool too. And vice versa. Thanks. Thank you, Gina. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you guys. I appreciate you. Lesson of the day. Um, I, for Gina was great. And I think the acupuncture is really being more accepted and um, used in fertility. And I think that the lesson really is to, to get more information and to find out what's out there and do what, what's right and what fits you and what feels like it, it makes sense to you. So, so not pushing acupuncture, but I, I know I personally have used it and found it effective. And I've, I've seen a lot of people who feel that way too. So, so get the information and you know, follow the path that, that makes sense for you. Uh, and speaking of information, you know, you should definitely give us feedback and information. People should go to iTunes and tell us that they either love us or they hate us or what they want to hear from us. That's one of the things we would really, really love to know is, is what is interesting? What has intrigued people? What would they like for us to delve into further? So don't forget, give us a call, leave us a message at 303-997-1903 or email us or just reach out any way you can. Send us a carrier pigeon, smoke signals. We, we respond to anything. So. <laughs> Oh, uh, we love to hear from people. And uh, thank you so much for coming and listening to us. Bye.